We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Unfortunately today, once again, James cannot be with us. But luckily for us, we have a magnificent replacement in Tim Stillman. Back on the podcast for the second week in a row. When you have a quality replacement, everything goes smoothly. When you don't, like Arsenal, things can go horribly wrong. And Arsenal lost 3-0 to Sheffield Wednesday. Um, haven't seen the game yet. And by this point, normally, I would have watched the match back even after, after a defeat. Some OCD like that, but I'm really struggling to uh, to watch this game. I've read a lot of opinions and um, a lot of articles, and it was a pretty poor showing from what I can see. That's what happens when you have a lot of your squad members injured. Most of our League Cup players, Rizitski, Wilshire, Welbeck, Arteta, so on and so forth, uh, were were absent for injury. So we had to play a lot of players who haven't even played for Arsenal yet. And are not ready yet for the for the first team, as Arsene Wenger said post match. So unfortunately, that's what happens. As I was writing the preview and I was putting the uh, the predicted lineup together, I did think the team did look rather unbalanced without any passes in the team in midfield. Yeah, I wasn't too confident about it to be honest. And by all accounts, it wasn't a very good game from from an Arsenal perspective. But well done to Sheffield Wednesday. Congratulations to them. So they must be pleased about that. But um, not for us. Not too concerned about being knocked out of the League Cup. Rather be in it, obviously, and wanted to keep our squad players playing and fresh. Well, they're going to be fresh now, aren't they? It's not so much being knocked out that's the problem. It's the injuries. Oxley chamberlain and Theo Walcott, which is going to be the, the worst part of the evening, unfortunately. Well, we're not sure how long they're out for yet. 
hopefully it's good news, but for Arsenal, injuries is never normally good news, is it? So we'll see what happens on that front. Anyway, I can't talk about the game, so I'm going to hand over to the guys. They'll talk about the game, and I'll be back after the Swansea match. So enjoy the podcast. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. We are coming to you the day after a historic result. Uh, if you're a Sheffield Wednesday fan, not so much if you're an Arsenal fan. It is uh, Sheffield three, Arsenal nil. Although I don't know if you can call it Arsenal based on some of the players that were on the pitch. The manager was critical of them after the match, which I thought was interesting, and we'll get to that later. But first, I want to introduce the two gentlemen, I use that term loosely, who are on the pod with me today. James, once again, was uh, is feeling nauseous from what he witnessed yesterday. He is not here. Paul is here. His name is Paul. You can find him on Twitter at Posnan in my pants. Hello, Paul. Hello. Good. Okay. Um, and uh, because we like ratings and they were good last time, Tim Stillman is here. You can find him uh, writing wonderful things on Ars blog. Other pods, other blogs, but he's here now. He's ours. We are holding him to our breast and thrilled to have him. He is fresh back from a lovely trip to Sheffield. Uh, Tim Stillman, thank you for coming on. My pleasure. So to speak. Okay, we'll dive right in. And Tim, I'll start with you. Um, the manager after the match said maybe he brought too many experienced players because injuries. We will talk about injuries momentarily because I think that's probably the most significant takeaway from the match um, and some of the choices the manager made in in game but with respect to the pre-game lineup were you surprised by it at all and would you have wished for him to have done anything differently um i wasn't remotely surprised by it no i thought really the only choice was between um who starts up front between walcott and Giroud, and i thought that was a bit of a coin toss i suspected it might be Giroud just because i think he'll want to play walcott probably against swansea and definitely against Bayern. so um, none of it was really a surprise, and I'm not certain there is anything that I'd have done particularly differently. I just think, um, effectively, what, what's quite weird is most of our, you know, quote-unquote League Cup team is injured. So a lot of the guys that are on the fringes of the team, uh, they're the ones that are injured. So the likes of Danny Welbeck, Jack Wilshere, Thomas Rosicki, who are probably not quite starting eleven players, but in that kind of definite always in the 18, but maybe not quite in the starting 11. I mean, they're all injured. So really, um, I, I'm not sure he was left with, a, in the positions where he did pick more senior players, I'm not sure he had too many other choices. And, um, you know, we, we saw some young players out there who, as the manager said, clearly aren't ready. Um, and I think that's just a symptom of, of the fact that not only have we got injuries to our, our kind of, second string I hesitate to call them that because they're kind of important squad players but our second string also a lot more of our young our good young players are out on loan whereas six seven years ago we used to do really well in this competition because the young players were much closer to the first team and actually had a bit more exposure so when they played together in a competition like this it, it really showed whereas now you know kind of seven eight years ago Tuba Akpom probably would have had quite a bit of Premier League game time by now um, you know someone like him players like Dan Crowley might have been a little bit closer to the squad and therefore they weren't sent out on loan so actually most of the kind of second string was completely depleted 
Um, so no, to be honest, I, I, there's there was nothing that really surprised me, and there's not really an awful lot that I'd have done differently. Um, I just is there an argument? Is there an argument though if, that if this really is our fourth most important competition and I think the fans, given that we're top of the league and we just beat Bayern, are in sort of an ebullient mood or were and probably would forgive a hiccup in this competition. Is there an argument for maybe going the whole way with youngsters and and maybe not not even – I know we have the power of hindsight and what happened with injuries now, but even without that, is there an argument that if you're going to go most of the way, why not go the rest of the way and really just rotate the whole eleven? Yeah, there is, there is. I, I do think that's mainly hindsight. I didn't have a huge problem with it before the game. I think ultimately Wenger knew that some of those those young players just couldn't carry him through. And I think he looked at the front three and he thought, right, if I've got Giroud with Chamberlain or Giroud with Walcott, then perhaps I can carry Alex Awobi a little bit and actually Alex Awobi might look a bit better. Um, but then when you lose both of them and you have to put another youngster in the front throw, I mean, that, that really showed because we created almost nothing. So I think really he tried to put an experienced player in every part of the field. So the back four was very experienced. We had Flamini in midfield. We had Giroud and Chamberlain up front. With us and, and, you know, so in every compartment of the team, there was at least one experienced player there. But then you lose Walcott and Chamberlain, which was incredibly unfortunate. Just two of the players we really would maybe apart from Czech, the two players that we would not have wanted to lose. Under the circumstances, absolutely. Um, yeah, um, absolutely. So, I, you know, he, I, I think he tried to mix and match it as best he could, but then getting two injuries like that, I think it affected us psychologically. Um, I, I always felt from that point the, the game was gone, to be honest with you, even at 0-0. Yeah. We'll come on to the injuries, Tim, because I, I actually do have a, a lot that I want to ask you about that, because I think that is the story of the match, unfortunately, yeah. Um, yeah. more or less. Um, but, but Paul, let me ask you one more thing about the lineup. If you are going to rotate, and the argument is you'd still like to win, you want to win every game you play, every competition you're in, um, can you make an argument that the one area where you need your quality, if you want to impose yourself on a lower division side, is in midfield? And that the midfield we sent out was so depleted that the presence of some senior players up front and at the back really was irrelevant because we had no hope of controlling this game in midfield, both due to the, the, the level of quality or lack of quality, the age, the inexperience of those players. I mean, if you were a manager, Paul, and you were trying to rotate a team but still potentially beat a lower division side, couldn't you make an argument that midfield's the one area where you need to leave your quality in to really impose yourself on the match? Well, I mean, you know, as I looked at it, I mean, the whole thing just looked like an abomination. I mean, we had we had other choices. We could have gone like with the first option, kind of as you're talking about. There seemed to be no balance. We seemed to be disjointed. It was shoddy, thrown together. I mean, clearly no thought gone into it over the summer. And then, you know, no chance of a replacement till next summer. That was the most horrible-looking third kit I've ever seen. I knew this was leading somewhere. Yeah, okay. You, you made now, your joke. I agree. The kit was horrible. <laughs> now answer the actual question. You went okay. a long way around that, that path. That, that was like a know. detour to get to that, but okay. Yeah, so I don't know where you'd go in the midfield apart from playing Santi or and Ozil. And my God, if anything happened to them. So it's like we didn't really leave anybody out. Um, so, you know, I, I think Tim made a pretty good case for having – ability in each in each compartment i mean 
I get the sense again from watching Arson that you know he, he knew what this competition was. He picked the he tried to get the balance right between how much you want to win the competition or progress in it, which is a little bit but not too much. You know, get, using it as a chance for your B team, if you like your B sides, your Beatles B sides here, uh, to get some play time but not exposing your Premier League. But you still got to, again, you got to find some balance. You got to put enough out there that it's meaningful for the players who are out there. I mean, if you play a whole bunch of people who've never played together and they're the youth and like you're really remote players from from your core squad, you're just going to have a horrible negativity, which we got anyway. Um, but, you know, no cohesion, no anything. There's really no point. Now, that might have been how it ended up on the day, but it clearly wasn't the intent. He mm -hmm. obviously thought we'd play some decent football, some good experience, uh, hopefully get the win, hopefully pro um, progress to the next round. And I think he got the balance. You know, I agree with Tim. I mean, you could quibble with the position here or there, but overall, um, I think he got the balance about right. And, um, you know, thank God we didn't win. And thank God one of those bozos out there didn't get the thousandth goal. We can keep that for a proper player on a proper day. Yeah, that's really the key right there. I think you've just hit on all the important things, the kit and the 2,000th goal. So thank you for yeah. that. Um, you, you know, look, I, I have some sympathy for the manager here because Akpom, Nabry, Zelalem, Crowley, you know, you can go through front to back and there are players that maybe could have imposed themselves at this level who are youth team players who are out on loan, as Tim pointed out. And so he's, he's between a rock and a hard place. He has a, an in, a beat-up first-team squad that needs rest that could easily go and win this game, I believe, regardless of the performance of even the senior players on the night. And then he's got youth team players who are nowhere near the level, and he acknowledged that after the game. And so he, he didn't have a good option. He didn't have a good option with the youth team players, but certainly... He couldn't afford to go with his whole first team here under, under the circumstances. All right, Tim, I'll give you the first crack at this. Oxley Chamberlain, and, and I know Tim from 7 a.m. kickoff said he thought he saw Ox nursing a potential injury at the end of the last game. Um, and then he was doing some weird stretching at the start of the game. So I'll, I'll give you two two questions. The first one is, under the circumstances, I, I grant you we have the benefit of hindsight. Do you think the manager took an unnecessary risk with Oxlade Chamberlain, but more importantly, is, is it, is the decision to use Theo there really a bizarre one? Is that the most surprising thing about this game? I, I think with Chamberlain, um, I mean, on, only Wenger and, and his kind of his coaching staff know precisely what condition Chamberlain was in. Well, and uh, probably some people on Twitter to be fair. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course yeah. I, uh, I, I have seen him do that stretch last, um, last few games actually um, and I'm not sure I, I'm trying to think back because it just didn't even I saw it but it just didn't really even strike me at the time I'm trying to think if I've seen any other players do it and I have the feeling that I have but I can't remember a specific example so maybe it's a sure. shad thing you know yeah I'm, I'm not convinced I could be misremembering I'm not convinced that's particular to Chamberlain but I think um, you know obviously it, let's say you know that he did have the problem going into the game. Um, I think, you know, Wenger would have taken a decision on balance between wanting to give him some games 
And, you know, we spoke about this on the last podcast, and I wrote something about this last week, that actually, you know, Chamberlain's got, or he had until last night, you know, a good kind of, a good bit of road ahead of him in the first team. And I think, you know, I think Wenger would have wanted to play him last night. I, I certainly felt that he would, just to kind of help him ease him into the team a little bit, get him a little bit of rhythm. And, you know, let's say you did have a problem before the game, he's taken that decision on balance. And yeah, he, I mean, he got it wrong. Um, it's difficult to say how much of a risk it was without having all of the information. But um, if, if circumstances are as we believe, then yes. I mean, it was, it was a borderline call and he got it wrong. Um, with, with Walcott, I think... Um, that he, seemed crazy to me. I, I, I mean, I'm not trying to just be the guy who rails against the manager, but that seemed crazy to me. Yeah, I mean that that was a bit of a risk, but then again, looking at the bench, it was hard to see what else, who else he could actually bring on. And then, isn't Joel you know, Campbell the the obvious answer? I, I guess that's never mind. He was already on. Sorry, good point. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> so it was, that wasn't uh, a joke. That was an actual mistake on my part. <laughs> and I I think um, I just think that Wenger probably would have thought there's just no way we can win this game, or we've got much less chance of winning it with two kids in the front three um, because, you know, someone needs to provide for um, for Giroud up front. And, yeah, I, I think he wanted basically someone that could create a chance for Giroud. And we saw what happened when Walcott went off. Um, you know, Giroud was very, very quiet, but, I mean, the service was non-existent because the players around him weren't mm-hmm. the level to provide that for him. So... I, I have a fair amount of sympathy with his decision to bring Walcott on because what happened when Walcott came off, um, obviously the manager foresaw it because it was just impoverished, uh, creatively speaking. And, you know, it's, there's a degree of like real bad luck there. I know there's been a big discussion about how well warmed up he was and things like that, but it was minutes into the game. And um, I do think... It's perfectly understandable that Arsenal fans are very sensitive about injuries, and clearly there's been an issue there um, for the last few seasons. But I think sometimes we over-egg it. I think now it's come to a stage where every injury must have like some massive underlying, you know, cause of incompetence or because somebody did something wrong. And but you know what? Sometimes your calf just goes, and right. there's not really a fantastic rhyme or reason for it. And you know, I don't know if that's the case with Walcott, but and it seemed to be fairly unlucky. And again, when I when I think about what I thought at the time when he came on, I mean, it it didn't strike me as odd or the wrong thing to do. And in fact, had he not brought him on, I think that would have been you know almost like throwing a towel in basically and saying, right, we really don't care about this game. Yeah. Um, had we been, let's say it happened later and we were two 0 down, I don't think there's any chance he'd have put Walcott on. I think he'd have just accepted it and put a kid on but at, at the stage of the game where it's nil nil and it's quite early you know you don't want to completely throw the towel in and say well actually I really don't care about this game and you know it's probably just a bit of bad luck to to have Walcott go off as well fair enough I, and, and can I add quickly no I mean we talk about <laughs> uh, we talk about you know him wanting to win it and not win it win it but you know what he does want regard you know should he put Walcott on to chase the win? I don't think that's what's going through his head at that point. I think at that point, what he wants to do is to rebalance the side because having got everybody together, having got this 11 out there, he wants them to play decent football so it's of value to them. 
Um, and well, he's, I, cer- I, he's certainly going to something. win, but but he he's not going to suddenly after two. I think it was two minutes and thirty seven seconds in, after the start of the game say. I don't care whether we play reasonable football or we just start bogging it up the front because there's nobody to hit it to. He's going to want to rebalance the side so that every player out there gets value out of the game instead of it turning into the shit fest it turned into well, in the end. I have another read on this, and, and I'd be curious to actually get both of your opinions on this. Um, so think about it for a minute. He just lost Oxley chamberlain and he doesn't have Ramsey. Now he's looking ahead to Swansea, Munich, and Spurs. And he's thinking, what's my front three going to be? And in the back of his mind, you may be thinking, you know what? I may have to move Theo back out to the right where he hasn't played all season and play him with Giroud and Alexis as that front three for the next few games. They've never played together like that this season. So is it possible? And Paul, I'll give you a chance first because before you just you know jumped in, you didn't, you didn't have a chance to answer. Um, uh, is it possible that part of his decision to use Theo was to get him some minutes at right wing playing with Giroud in the front three because the manager at that point is looking at it saying that's probably my front three at Swansea on Saturday well yeah it's possible I I really didn't get a sense looking at it at the time and his intensity I think it was a pretty emotional reaction I think the emotion was about the wanting this to be meaningful for the team I mean well if that's the case that's the wrong that's the wrong reason to make a decision I mean, well, I, I can't defend Well, hang, hang on. I'm not sure you understand my point. Probably not. He, he has 11 players there that he needs to get up to speed, that need to be ready. He needs his Debushi. He needs Chambers. He needs Gibbs. He needs Flamini. He's going to need them at every point. They need to be able to contribute. And if he has a shit fest of a game where they're not playing proper football, they're getting nothing out of it, and we're in trouble. Giroud needs some reasonable service so they can have a proper game. So there's a lot more than wanting to play pretty football. It needs to be meaningful for Debushi to be any fucking use to us when we need him in two weeks' time because fucking Bellerin pops a screw or when Monreal's... You know, we've been through this where the guys came on and, the you know, our, our defense f- turns to shit. So this was important stuff. Um, and that's why he wanted to balance the team. So no, that's that, fair. But look, I, that I, I think that's a corollary. Players. I think that point is sort of a corollary to what I'm saying, right? Which is simply that you're putting a player on so that the players who are on the pitch who may need to be used are getting value from the game experience, right? I mean, that's that's sort of similar to what I'm saying. Put Theo on the right because he may have to play on the right with Giroud at the weekend, and, and you're saying it's more about the players who may have to rotate in, like uh, I'm a Debussy or a Gibbs. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying right. it's true for Theo and Giroud, but no more th- true than it is for all of the other nine, ten players who need to get something meaningful out of it. Right. I, I mean, fi- final thought on that, Tim. I mean, does it, does it make sense to you, the idea that if you now know that Theo's your last option on the right Maybe you're putting him in the game specifically to get a look at an Alexis Giroud Theo front three with the idea that you may have to be using that for the next few weeks? Definitely, definitely. And, uh, and kind of building on Paul's point, I think I said at the end of the last podcast, I thought that um, staying in the competition was not like season changing or anything, but important. Um, and I, I tell you something the last two winners of the League Cup have been the league champions. So I don't think it inflicts on your season that much. It's over by February. 
Um, so the last two league title winners, it's been absolutely no issue for them to go all the way in the competition. And uh, the reason I thought it was important for us is exactly what um, Paul was saying just there, that at some point we're going to have to play, you know, the likes of Gibbs and Tabushi and Flamley, they're going to be needed at some point. And I think it's important for them to kind of keep their hand in because now, and the biggest significance of losing this game for me is not going out of the competition. It's now, um, Benga's got a bit of a head scratcher as to what he does with these guys now because Frankly, the likes of Debussy and Gibbs and Flamini kind of stunk the place out last night. Ah, you're stealing my thunder where I wanted to go. Okay, keep going. <laughs> keep going. But, but you know, so what does he do with those players now they're not in this competition anymore? Because on the one hand, none of them look remotely in shape to play an important game. But on the other hand, you know, one or two of them, or maybe all of them, is going to have to at some point. And when we need them, you know, it, it's them not playing is only going to exacerbate that situation even more. So I think, and I've written something about this tonight, actually, so it's very fresh in my mind, but Benga's not much of a rotator. Um, he doesn't wantonly ever rotate his squad. He likes keeping, you know, the same 11 most of the time, um, whether it's because he's got too many injuries and it's foisted on him by circumstance or because he's got his first 11 available. He doesn't like rotating. He's not that comfortable with it. And actually going out of this competition provides a little bit of an issue there because there's players who are underperforming because they're not playing. And we've seen some players that we've all doubted um, what they've what they've been able to do with regular game time. The likes of Monreal, who looks twice the player he did a year ago. Bellerin looks twice the player he did a year ago. Coquelin, very well documented. Um, so you see what players do with regular game time. But now these guys, you know... There's not much prospect of using them. Um, we're not going to have the yearly Champions League dead rubber. Every game is meaningful there now, so we're not going to be held to you know, do our usual in Olympiacos. Um, so the question is, when, when do you start to use these guys now? Because it's kind of a diseconomies of scale here because they're, they're not in good shape, but they're not going to get in any better shape by not being used. And mm -hmm. at some point, we're going to need them. And I think that's the significant thing for me about going out. Right. It's just one less opportunity to use players that may ultimately get thrust in in a more significantly important situation. Exactly. Um, Paul, I want to ask you something quickly, and then we're going to get on to the players that underperformed a little bit and, and where we go from here. Um, after the match, the manager basically said that these players, were, the young players he, he put out there were not at the level that was required. And a lot of people took that to be a shot at the players, obviously, and felt it was maybe harsh on those players. I read it a little bit differently. I kind of felt like it was a little bit of a shot at the academy and how the academy is being run and performing. And I know that a lot of our more talented players are out on loan, but do you think that the manager was trying to send a subtle message about the state of our academy? And, and you know, this is one, Tim, I know that you think a lot about as well, so I'll give you a chance to just quickly touch on it. Um, but, Paul, do you think the manager's message about those players not being ready is more a statement about how he feels things are going at the at the youth level at Arsenal? That was... That was my first thought when I heard it, and and when I when I uh, read it, because um, he's not going to hang young players out to dry. That's not Arsene Wenger's not. way of doing. You know, but but I also think sometimes when a manager is trying to get himself and his team out of a town up north, he wants one simple answer that is accepted that lets people move on, and you know I I don't think the 
I mean, none of those kids would have felt particularly good after the game anyway. I don't think that's going to make any difference. I think he would put his arm around them and made them feel good. So individually, they'll be fine. It could well be a shot at the academy. Um, But I'm going to take it that, you know, sometimes you're in PR mode. You want to get the fuck out of Dodge. Um, You know, you've congratulated Sheffield for playing great. And... You you can't blame your established players because they're they're your established players, and they're also all you've got with the next injury. So hey, let's just say that the the kids were were not ready, which they clearly weren't. So yeah. I, I'm going to take it as an excuse of convenience, which was largely true, as opposed to anything more than that. I know we're going to talk about the players. I thought it will be was okay. I thought uh, I mean for reasons Tim talked about he was never going to look great, but of the three I actually thought I mean we saw him looking pretty good over the summer and uh Tim's obviously seen a lot of him academy wise. I've seen a few clips off our website, so I kind of know his style. Um and I've read a lot of uh, I've read anything about him which which seems to imply he's pretty consistent. Um, you know, on watching it, I thought there was some mileage there. So I think Arson was talking about the other two. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Tim, I mean, just quickly, do you think that the, the comments are more a frustration with the Academy, which isn't really producing, I, I mean, and hasn't produced for a while a whole lot? Or, or do you think he really was so disappointed in the players that he was taking a shot at them? Um, I, I'm not convinced it was either, actually. I mean, I, I spoke a little bit about this Naturally. earlier. But for, <laughs> <laughs> but for whatever reason, basically, if the, the, the squad's different now. It's older. So actually, the young players aren't as close to the squad as they used to be. So that kind of, you know, League Cup team is largely all out on loan. And actually, this layer of play, of young players, with the exception of Iwobi, um, but, but, you know, certainly Kamara and um, the other lad whose name escapes me. Benasser? That's it, yes. Well, let's um, not forget Rain Adelaide is at the U-17 World Cup. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's a couple yeah. other factors there. I think that's exactly. over, like, November 8th. I was just checking this afternoon yeah. to find out when Jeff's coming back. Because, yeah, he, he might get a bit closer to the first team at the moment. Yeah. But that, really, those players were the sorts of players that were probably on the bench in the League Cup a few years ago. And if you look at Arsenal's benches in, in this competition from a couple of years ago, most of them, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to you know, pinpoint where exactly they are, like the Sanchez, well, Sanchez, what is in India, actually. Um, but, you know, it's kind of that level of player, really, because, yeah, the, the you know, the kind of, the, the layers of the squad are just a little bit different now. And that, that layer in the middle that used to be the League Cup team is, has been farmed out, basically. So there's a bit more of a disconnect there. So I, I think it was just more that. And because, you know, the, the more experienced members of that layer of the squad were injured. It just meant he had to put some players in kind of above their level. So maybe just a matter of fact, these players are yeah. not ready for this level. Not not a, these players are not ready for this level, grr. Just a, they're yeah. not. They're just not yeah. ready. <laughs> um, quick question for you, Tim, because uh, you're hey, really... Elliot, can I ask yeah. a quick question while we're on this nope. topic? A- any thoughts on Dan Crowley coming back? You saw that, Tim, did you? Yeah, he's yeah. been recalled, I guess. Yeah, that that looks really really weird because he was playing and he was playing regularly. But apparently, he came off at half time the other day. I I think something's gone on there. That's my reading of it. Barnsley fans were raving about him. 
You know, he started the first eight games of his loan spell, and it seems really abrupt. Um, can I don't we know use him? Something's gone on there. So, and you if we, we if we were going to, well, maybe. But if we were going to call someone back, given where our injuries are and and the way he's going at West Brom, surely Serge Gnabry would be. Yeah, yeah, that that's the one that that you'd have to think. I mean, Pulis won't use him. I mean, he's, yeah. he's even taking shots at him. But, but maybe maybe there's no recall clause there. Maybe maybe it's as simple as that because I think that's a season loan, whereas Crowley was only till January, and I think there's a rule that for a season loan you can't recall until January. So maybe maybe that's it. But there, well, you, there seems to be more than meets the eye there. You can also make an argument, given how well we performed with a midfielder on the right who comes into midfield and makes a fourth option, sort of to to control the midfield. Crowley may actually fit stylistically yeah. more with the way we're using that right wing position than than Nabry, who wants to be more like an Oxlade Chamberlain, take people on, dribble them, you know, get down the flanks. Um, Tim, just real quick, because because this is a perspective that neither Paul nor I have, certainly not at the moment. And on social media, the reaction to the game was sort of blasé, apart from the injuries. People were very upset about the injuries, and some were very upset about using those players in the first place. But I think they were fairly blasé about the result. You went. You were there. I don't think at any point you you would have felt this was a crucial competition. But the mood among the away supporters in a game like that, is there a real frustration about the performance and the result? Even though in in the back of your mind you know it's a, a relatively unimportant competition in the scheme of things, do you still find yourself expecting more from the side? And what what was the general reaction of the people who actually had to pay to be there and, and waste their their day going to watch that? It was um it was still fairly blase, to be honest with you. I think we've known um, exactly what the club's approach is to this competition for years and years, so nobody got anything they didn't expect in that regard. And I don't think anyone got what they didn't want. There's a real sense that we can go for the title this year, um, and that's exciting um, people. And really, to be honest with you, there was very little frustration around. There was um, there was a 20-minute chorus of We Love You Arsenal just after we went 3-0 down. It, it, it was mainly blasé. shades of the eight two at Old Trafford. A, a little bit, yeah, yeah, in your darkest moment, kind of thing. It was awesome on the TV. I know I can't really add to the the yeah. away fan experience, but I, I actually was going to prod uh, Elliot to let me jump in here, but I decided to jump in anyway because <laughs> I've just been watching it, and you know I'd heard about it on Twitter, and now I just listened to it. It was really, really good, and, and you know, fair fucks to Sheffield as well. I mean, uh, you know, they were going to ape shit for it. That was a really big game and a really big competition yeah, yeah. for them. I mean, it was a great – we get lost sometimes, but it was a great football e- evening. It wasn't a great performance, and it wasn't a great evening mm. for us. But football-wise, it was fucking great. And, and I think we owe you a, a, a big thank you, Paul, because if – you know, we're taking away from your what fourth viewing of the game right now, right? So, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Know, thank you for that. I was so close to coming onto this without having watched it, and I was going to sh- poke you in the eye with a, uh, if you can't love <laughs> me when I've watched it, it twice, <laughs> you're not going to get me when I've watched it once. I'm, I've yeah. come without watching it. I was going to say, you guys are tainted from having watched the game. I'm I'm untainted, unfiltered. My Virgin eyes. Are, yeah, my my opinions are pure. But anyway, I, I ended so, up watching the damn thing. All right. Well, so, t- so Tim, I'm I'm glad. That, I mean, it sounds like even though you had to be there through that, yeah. there was a decent amount of perspective. Definitely, definitely. And and from my own point of view, 
Um, I try and separate it really in terms of being a fan compared to what the manager has to do. I understand fully what the manager has to do and the, the position he's in, the decisions he has to make, and I didn't really take um, any any great kind of uh, quabble with any of them, to be honest. But um, as a fan, you know, I, I like to think to myself, well, do you know what? I don't actually have to, I'm not the manager. I don't actually have to think about that stuff. And at the end of the day, it's a competition. I want to win it. And ultimately, all competitions in football are contrived and they're contrived for our entertainment and for a shot at glory. So I, I try and keep on that side of it from my own point of view, which is why I go to these things, um, because I, I don't have to distill the decisions the manager makes. So I, I could never be totally blasé about going out of cup competition. That said, I completely appreciate... Um, the situation that, that, that the manager and the players are in, and if I put myself in that situation, I'd have done the same thing. So there's, you know, I could never be, I could never say I don't care. Um, you know, that'd be counterintuitive to drive up there and get home at three o'clock in the morning and everything. But at the same time, I, you know, I understand fully if it came down to it, if you'd have said to me four games ago, you're going to lose one in the next five, which one is it? You know, I wouldn't have thought before choosing this one. So, yeah. I, I had a weird sort of feeling about this, and I know this is crazy. And and look, I am the last one to make lemonade out of lemons. You guys know that about me. I'm more the hysterical Dude. overreaction type. Very much. But so. I, thanks. Um, I think in a weird way, this could be helpful. Not the injury part, but the performance part. Because if we had strolled into Sheffield and won comfortably, you start to get in that comfort zone where you're winning every game, and maybe you take Swansea lightly. But getting spanked 3-0 away to a lower division side is a nice little wake-up call that if you don't bring it every game, you can lose. And going into a very tough away fixture in the league, maybe it just gives them that little bit of remember you know, remember how bad it can be if you just let up even a little bit. Wow, so, Elliot. Well, wow. I, mean, I mean, look, you know, there's a silver lining to every cloud, and that's really how I like to I, go through I was the world. so prepared for Elliot's pit of despair. but It's coming. I'll go with this. It's coming right <laughs> now. Okay. Um, so <laughs> the pit of despair. What is that? For, uh, uh, um, what movie is that? The Princess Bride. Um, so... Paul, I'll let you have first crack at this because I heard your tiny heart breaking when Theo w- walked off the pitch. <laughs> now we have to make do with no Ramsey on the right, no Theo on the right, no Ox on the right. You're the manager. Three big fixtures coming up, um, two in the league that are crucial. One in the Champions League that I personally think is a luxury match because our fate in the Champions League probably doesn't really de- depend on what we do in Germany. But there are three big matches. What's your solution for starting at Swansea, for how we set up the front six um, now that we have no Ramsey, Ox, or Theo. Oh, Jesus. Or, or Welbeck or Wilshire um, or Rizik. I, I, think, I think the most important thing is to keep the working pieces working. Uh, so I'd probably start uh, Joel Campbell on the right and ask <coughs> him to do no harm. Um, I mean, I think we can give up on him actually connecting with passes and certainly crosses, but maybe he can graft and work and keep things tidy there. And maybe... Uh, so you'd actually use Joel Campbell in a meaningful competitive football match? Okay. Uh, yeah, on the, uh, unless you know somebody else. Uh, you know, uh, I would... I would ha- I think we're going to have a Wobie in the squad anyway. I have, an, I have an alternative perspective. Okay. Well, let's go to yours because I got Just nothing really new apart from. And, and then I'll give it back. From, 
I'll yep. say this on the logic. There's an obvious logic to keeping everything else the way it was and keeping mm -hmm. it working, uh, although the question mark was would it be working if you had a, an absolute zero at the right wing. But the other aspect is from an injury standpoint, if you have players playing different positions than they're normally – I don't know if this is good sports science, but my kind of cross my fingers, if you keep Coquelin playing where Coquelin plays – Santi playing where Santi plays, then maybe they won't get any extra injuries from doing strange stretches and maneuvers that, you know, standing on the left side you don't do if you stand on the right side kind of thing, or playing at a wing, okay. yeah, etc. Hear me out. Okay. And Tim, you tell me if you think this is crazy. Lay it on us. Okay, I want to keep the style of play the way it was with Ramsey in there, and I want to put the best players in position to succeed. I don't think Joel Campbell fits the way we've been playing, and I don't think he's a very good player. I'm sorry, I just don't. I would play Ozil on the right where he said he's actually comfortable because he can cut in on his left foot, and we've already seen the balls he can deliver to Giroud, and it's clearly going to be Giroud up front. So I'd play Ozil on the right, Alexis and, and Giroud where they play. I'd use Santi Cazorla in the midfield. Cochran in the midfield and Flamini in the midfield. Now, it's not so long ago that an Arteta Flamini midfield base, central midfield pairing, dominated Napoli in a Champions League game and looked like one of our best pairings in certain games. Um, I think we still need to be able to control midfield, and I think we need that fourth person coming in and making a four in, in the middle of the park. So, why not Cazorla, Cochran, Flamini in midfield, Ozil out on the left, Alexis and Giroud? Tim, tell me I'm crazy. <laughs> I don't think that's crazy at all. I, th I think that's um, that's a very decent alternative, and I think it's one we might see. I'm personally... You, you could use one of the fullbacks too, right? Is that the other option? You play Debussy and Bellerin? You could, but I, I always think that's that's more difficult than it sounds, um, pushing up from fullback okay. to the wing. I I actually agree entirely with, with Paul. I would stay with Joel Campbell just because... Basically, uh, our most important players are Coquelin, Cazorla, um, Ozil, and Alexis. And I would much rather, I think, you know, it's all, not all on them, but they're the four most important cogs in our team. They're probably the four best performing at the moment. So just keep them what they're doing. I don't really rate Joel Campbell either. All I'll, all I'll say for him is I don't think he's a complete liability. Technically, he's sound. His touch is okay. His passing's all right. He gets back. He works hard. He puts tackles in. I don't think it, he carries. Someone said the other day, I, I don't remember who, but they said is tackling Joel Campbell's best attribute. <laughs> and, it, it and I guess if it is, that's not the end is. of the world. <laughs> it, it probably is. And, you know, like he carries almost no goal threat. And, you know, he, he doesn't even really start games for Costa Rica that much, to be honest, for, for that exact reason. But... If he can contribute just by, you know, when he gets the ball, being able to trap it and give it to someone else, um, and then we keep all our best players doing what they're doing, I, I would, I would certainly do that initially. And if um, it becomes apparent after a game or two that Joel Campbell is completely hopeless, and you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, there are lots of players that we've written off or we've dismissed as average, and actually, when they get a run of games, they surprise you. And maybe that will happen with Joel Campbell. I don't think it will, but you never know. Um, so I, and initially, I would I would be inclined to stick with him and just keep everyone else doing what they're doing. If in a game or two, it's just completely apparent that he's completely out of his depth, I'd, I'd reshape it in the way you suggest. Yeah, I mean, especially considering that the first two games are away and we won't have a lot of the ball, certainly in Germany and maybe not even in Wales. 
I feel like you can get away with Coughlin Flamini sitting and shielding the back four and letting Cazorla, Ozil, and Alexis pick holes on the counterattack, you know, and play balls off of off of Giroud. Um, you know, I think especially since we'll probably be counterattacking in those two games, I also think you have to get something from that attacking four. Um, mm-hmm. and you can you can you can afford to lose one attacking threat in the in the midfield. Um and I just feel like Joel Campbell being, as you said, sort of not the goal threat and, and kind of a liability in attack in games where we're counterattacking. You know, I, I'm not sure that, that he adds a lot, but we'll see. Um, I do wonder if, I mean, I'd like to think Campbell was half decent for the fact that uh, he must be doing something in training because the bugger keeps trying to leave every transfer window and Arson keeps no holding one will on buy to him. him. Yeah. No one will though, buy him. We, we're trying to sell him. But I haven't... <laughs> I have an alternative theory, which is this like human sacrifice theory that Arson keeps these guys around like uh, him and Park Chu Young on the basis that uh, he's trying to appease the gods from hacking down Ramsey and Wiltshire with injuries. So he like keeps kind of like, you know, the way they stake a goat out in the middle of the clearing to attract the tiger, that that's the purpose of your Joel Campbells and your Park Chu Youngs. But the gods never take them. Between you, know, you and me, Paul, we could open a shit analogy store and absolutely <laughs> sell out every day. Go ahead, Tim. But, you know, with, with Joel Campbell, I, I think he would definitely have gone this summer had um, the prognosis for Danny Welbeck not been so awful. And I think we only yeah. kept him around in light of that. And actually, in light of what's happened, that's that's a good decision because we're at a stage where we're going to have to use him now. Whereas if we'd have let him go as well, there'd be some real gnashing of teeth at the moment. So... He kept him round for an emergency, and, you know, da-da, here it is. And you know what? It probably would have been Nabry if it weren't for the fact he spent basically two seasons yeah. out injured. Yeah, um, exactly. And has who, missed all that time. Who are we yeah, going to use as our super sub is my question. We don't have one. Or our um, any sub. We don't have one. So l- let me ask you this, Tim, and this we're, we're going to kind of dig into this now a little bit, this, this issue of squad depth. Um, a couple podcasts back, uh, James, who is the uh, other regular on this pod, who's become a little irregular both because of uh, illness and career. And um, James and I got into, into a little tete-a-tete, a little set two, uh, filled with ad hominem attacks and all kinds of unpleasantness over the issue of squad depth. Paul felt uh, rightly that it was not appropriate for general consumption, and we cut it. But my... Maybe because it was a happy day, wasn't that the that was the Manchester United? We had game. just beaten United. Yeah, yeah. I was trying and we to got drag distracted. down. I was trying to bring down the level of, of discussion, but no, no one would let me. Um, Tim, my my two principal issues were one that we weren't. There were certain areas of the squad where we didn't have the depth we needed, and those should have been probably addressed and weren't. But the other that I had was we tend to just list names of players. Um, as if they're good just because we're listing them. And maybe we overrate some of the players that, you know, when we say, oh, we have two first-choice 11, you know, two 11s. Um, And in that argument, one of the things I said is I didn't think Kieran Gibbs was particularly going to make it or very good. Um, I thought Debushi was kind of overrated. You know, and I I went through some of the the backup players, so to speak, that we all just kind of assume are okay. Where do you stand? And, and, And granted, look, we're missing Wilshire. We're missing Rosicki. We're missing Arteta. We're missing... 
uh, Ramsey, we're missing now Ox, we're missing Theo, we're missing Welbeck. Those are all critical players, and I, I don't deny that that is a genuine problem. I will suggest that with Wilshire and Welbeck, we knew about those absences when there was still time to do something about it. But without getting into the issue of transfers, where do you stand right now on the quality of two particular players who I think came in for some att- critical attention last night in Debushi and Gibbs? Uh, you know, one who came in, you know, as a French international starting France, you know, France right back. The other who was supposed to be the future of, of the England left back position and future at Arsenal, both really seem to have regressed. I know they haven't played a lot. What, what's your take on those two players? I think um, with, I mean, Debussy's Arsenal career is just, you know, fantastically unlucky for him. Um, Both because reading, of injury and the ri- and the unexpected yeah, rise of Bellerin? Exactly. And for, for him, from a completely personal point of view, you know, that's just horrible. He got this big move that he'd been waiting his whole career for, and it's, it's basically just gotten away from him, you know, through a, not a lot of fault of his own. My, my reading of it is he might just be one of those players that, that can't come in and out of a team. And actually, you see that a lot with defenders in particular because defenders are really dependent on the unit around them. Um, and probably just because of his age, because he's, he's 30 now. Um, you know, he's got lots of experience. He's not really on a learning curve. So it's not, you know... But it's not his body, Tim. It's his position. I mean, right, this is a mental thing. The thing that Debushi's been terrible about when he's played is his positioning and where he's showing up yeah. on the pitch. Do you think he's just pouting and throwing a strop a little bit and like, I don't ever get to play, so when I go out there, I'm just, honestly, I'm just going to run around not give a shit? I mean, is I, this is this him kind of throwing his toys out of the pram? I don't think it's as clean cut as that, but what, what I do think is I think he wants to go, and I think that's probably crept in at a subconscious level. I don't think he's wantonly or actively throwing his toys out the pram, but in his mind he's probably thinking, right, I need to go somewhere else, and that's okay. probably coming through in his performances. With Gibbs, I think I, I've never been an enormous fan. I've always thought that Kieran Gibbs as your left back, if he's fit, is fine if you're going for fourth place, and actually kind of okay with him as a backup. The problem with him as a backup is, again, that I always went through this cycle with Gibbs when he was our first choice left back of thinking, yeah, he's okay, you know, he's not amazing. I think we could upgrade, but he's no disaster area. And then he'd put 10 games together or so, and I'd start to think, oh, maybe maybe there's more to him. And then I thought, maybe he's bang, he's injured again. There we go. Another 10 games out. And then he'd come back in and he'd have that seven or eight games where I think, yeah, well, he's okay. And then, oh, look, he's, he looks better. And then bang, he's injured again. So... I get the impression he's one of those players that that just needs to play every week and to get uh, to build up some kind of rhythm. And in fairness, you know the, the same's happened to Nacho Monreal. Um, I I have always pretty much thought that Monreal's better anyway, but he looks an awful lot better than he did when he was coming in and out of the team. Um, and you know so, some players are just like that. They just they need to play every week, and I think that happens a lot with defenders. I can't. When I look through most Premier League squads, and I look at the backup defenders, I very rarely think much of any of them because I think more than any other position on the pitch, it's just you can't just come in and out of the team. You you can't. For example, you've got Walcott and Giroud kind of sharing the centre forward position. That's really working for us at the moment. That 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 happens up front and it works up front. It doesn't work at centre half. There are very very few examples. Um, you know, of, of centre-half kind of partnerships chopping and changing in the same way. So, 
you know, I, I, I think with Debussy, it's just a little bit. His Arsenal career's got away from him. He wants to play in the Euros. He'd probably ask for a transfer in January. And I think Gibbs is a fairly good player, but he's just one of those guys that needs games. Quick thought on Chambers. Um, I, I like Callum Chambers a lot. Um, I really do. I, I think he'll be fine. Um, he, um, I, I think he's got, he's basically, he's got all the attributes. Obviously, he's a little bit raw, um, but that's fine and that's to be expected at, at his age. And I'm actually kind of glad that Arsenal have made a firm decision um, that he's going to be a centre-half um, and that's that. And he's not going to be a defensive midfielder. He's not going to be a right-back. He's going to be a centre-half. He's got three great colleagues, centre-half colleagues, to learn from. Um, yeah, I, I've got no qualms about him whatsoever. Okay. Um, so, Paul, I'll turn this over to you a little bit. I mean, we know, we know that injuries are a problem right now. And, and, you know, some people have, oh, injuries are always a problem at Arsenal. But, again, you can't have 47 people in the squad. There are squad limits. You have to build your squad a certain way. <clears throat> again, I have a lot of sympathy for that. I was personally of the opinion that there were two positions we needed to go out and add to the squad in the summer. We didn't. That's old news, and I'm not going back to it. But what's your take now that you've had a little chance to see some of these players that are backup players, a little chance to see the situation we're in? Do you start to worry now about squad depth? I mean, we're at a position right now where the next man up, you brought it up, the bench against Swansea, at least from a midfield and attacking standpoint, is going to be really frightening to see. Are we at the breaking point now where there there is no reserve left in the tank? Uh, I think so. I mean, certainly, I mean, it's weird because we had the years where we had the run on fullbacks and the run on uh, center backs. Center backs, yep. And, you know, deep-lying midfielders. Well, I guess we've only... <laughs> guess we've won at the moment but you know uh, uh, the the good thing is our four critical play- players and i think we can all kind of name them we touched um, on it last last pod yeah. i asked both you and tim are, are there four players right now who have to and i think i said kazorla ozil alexis and Coughlin, and thankfully yeah. they're all still fit uh, and until tomorrow. Uh, I, I won't jinx it but you know what i want to say which is they they all seem kind of well don't, i'm not gonna say don't, it. i'm not gonna say it i didn't say it me. i didn't even hint at it Okay, so, so anyway, but, keep going. But going forward, yeah, I mean, the the issue we have is we have like I think I counted like seven players that we start that we were hoping to go into this year with that are that no longer exist for a little while here, where you would have said they're all highly injury prone, uh, but you would have think would have thought if you threw enough mud at the wall, some of it would stick. That maybe you could, uh, like, if you were in the computer business, you'd start scrapping them for spares to build a player or two. I mean, we've got like seven guys, Ramsey, Wilshire, blah, blah, blah. We know all the list. And they were basically covering two, three, four positions, but certainly two positions um, at right wing and a center midfielder of some variety. And they're all gone, and there's no replacements. I mean, there's n- there's nobody at the moment. We're basically waiting until the... the, uh, the, the uh, the cavalry shows up at the fort because the Indians mm. have decimated the fort folk. I mean, there's, there, uh, I, uh, I don't know who we've got. We haven't got anybody, do we? I mean, and we welcome really back to the analogy store. We're we, open twenty four seven with <laughs> the analogies. <laughs> I, I mean, <laughs> it's it's kind of flo- flogging poor old Joel. But I mean, we basically have Joel, and there's nobody on the bench, correct? I I I don't know what our if Joel starts. Our bench at the weekend will be presumably 
Gabriel, um, uh, I guess Matt Macy, uh, Flamini, Gibbs, Debushi, and then what? Bielik? I mean, I, you know, Iwobi, yeah. yeah. I, t- I tell um, you, we'll all be apologizing for taking the piss out of Flamini for trying to turn into an attacker. <laughs> I'm going to tell you something. I mean, I I, I hope it's Flamini, not Campbell, and, and I'm not a Flamini fan, and, and you know, we'll see. Um, okay, l- let's start to wrap it up just real quick, Paul. Expectation for uh, Swansea away on Saturday. It's a very tricky fixture. If you remember last year, it was the Callum Chambers end of his right-back career game where Montero roasted him. Uh, it, it was not a good day. We go into it not in great shape on the injury front, but in good form uh, domestically and in Europe, apart from the Capital One Cup, obviously. What do you expect? Uh, I don't know, really. Um, I'm worried. I mean, they're always trouble for us anyway. They're they're that kind of team. There's like there's two or three of them who are always a problem for us. Uh, you know, we're, we're now doing well against the top teams. We were always good at battering the bottom teams. But there were a few teams in the middle who always give us conniptions, and Swansea's one of them. Uh, I hope this maybe encourages us to sit back a little bit. Um, I mean, we had a very pragmatic approach to them a couple of years ago when we played Arteta and Diaby, which was kind of a makeshift midfield at the time. And we were kind of defensive, and we scored two goals towards the end. Um, Didn't Ramsey have like a phenomenal header in that game or something? Or am I thinking of a different one? I remember we went to Swansea and Ramsey had that. That was a Cardiff. Oh, Cardiff. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. My bad. Same difference. It's it's in Wales. So I kind of hope we're just pragmatic against Swansea. We just, we go there. We keep it a little bit tighter than usual, uh, using all the excuses we now have to take a more pragmatic approach. That's kind of my thoughts, but but mm-hmm. very much our traditional lineup with Joel Campbell and just maybe be, just maybe start cautiously. And, you know, we, uh, for all the talk about Campbell, I mean, if he can hold his own and do a reasonable job and graft, we'll still get some r- attacking intent from Bellerin. Again, if we keep it tight and we don't go behind, you know, we'll, we will get some chances from 60 to 70 minutes onwards where we'll get some some impetus from the right-hand side from Bellerin if we've got the game under control. Mm-hmm. Well, it's uh, it's definitely a tough spot, and Tim will ask you to crank up the processor in that computer of a football brain that you have for a second and, and tell us what you see for the, the trip to Wales. Um, oh, piece of piss. Joel Campbell hat-trick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you laugh, but why, why can't that happen? Well, if he can get the happen? ball off Flamini, he'll get a hat I mean, trick. football, bloody hell, right? Can't that happen? They, they, they'll both score a hat trick. It'll be fine. Um, I don't think he'll start Campbell. It, it's it's really kind of escaped ten- attention with um, you know the, the crisis at Chelsea, um, what shame that's been. With um, you know that's Aston Villa really not going well, um, you know Sunderland and Newcastle, quite newsworthy teams, not going so well. Swansea have been horrible this season. They've been really bad. Um, the manager's been under pressure, um, and it sounds like they're thinking of pulling the trigger. They've been in really bad form, and they went they went to Villa and won last week. So I, d- I don't know if that if that changes anything. On one hand, Tim Sherwood's Aston Villa, you know, are there for everybody's taking really, and Chelsea beat Tim Sherwood's Aston Villa. It doesn't seem to have done them any good. Um, it remains to be seen whether that's 
avoid their mood or not. If it hasn't, then this this is a much more winnable game than Swansea away usually is because Swansea have really not started the season very well. Um, that said, you know, as we've said, there's not really anything on the bench for us if uh, if things are getting kind of a bit testy um, for us. So it, it, it's difficult to call. I, I think we're going to win. I think one of Ozil or Alexis is just going to have something for us on the day. Um, but, you know, Swansea, they, they, it's, it's always a difficult fixture. Um, but if they if they're still in their pre Aston Villa mindset, then you know we should be looking at winning it and winning it well. But that just that that totally remains to be seen. It also remains to be seen how much the Bayern game is on everybody's mind because um, I think we've seen that from Arsenal plenty in the past, where a big Champions League game on the horizon has kind of um, taken their thoughts a little bit. So that again remains to be seen. So there's a few intriguing subplots, but I'm I'm quietly confident I'll tell you something I I think the one benefit of beating Bayern at home is that it's made Bayern away a less crucial fixture now don't get me wrong taking something from that makes our situation in the group even easier but even without taking anything from that we probably still have our Champions League fate in our hands it's a free pass effectively yes because you look at it and if it carries on as it is, you know, and we lose to Bayern, basically it's which, which is the more likely task, going to Olympiacos and winning by two goals or getting something from Bayern. Exactly. Exa- the especially with the state of our squad right now. I totally yeah. agree with that statement or proposition, whatever the hell that was. Um, no, I agree with you. So I, so I think the manager might might look at this and Spurs as the two more important of the three. Granted, Bayern is the most glamorous of the three, but arguably, to your point, it's it's house money, right? Mm. Um, I don't think he's going to play Campbell. And, and my reasoning is simply this. If he had any faith in Campbell at all, Ox comes off injured, you're in Sheffield in the Capital One Cup. And if you have any faith in Campbell there, I think maybe you bring on another kid and, and you expect Campbell to step up. I think the fact that he had to bring on Theo shows he doesn't have a lot of faith in Campbell. Maybe that's reading too much into it. Maybe it's me hoping he doesn't have a lot of faith in Campbell. I don't know. Um, in any event, we've spent an hour on this match, which is probably more than it needed. Um, the, the reality now is we just can't afford another injury and maybe we get lucky and a Walcott or an Oxley chamberlain or Ramsey comes back sooner than we thought, but given that it's Arsenal, you know, maybe next season is the best we can hope for. Um, anyway, I want to thank both these gentlemen for being on the pod. Uh, Paul, as usual, Paul, you can find him on Twitter at Posin in my pants, also an occasional blogger. And those, uh, those are worth reading oh, when yeah. you get around to well, You are a blogger. Well, it's no. not like you blo- do you blog regularly? Well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yeah. No, no, what no, day, what no. day of the week does your blog come out? <laughs> what I mean, day of the month? Okay. All right. Look, Paul is a regular blogger, and you can find his blog regularly on blank day of blank week of blank month. Paul, wow. thanks for coming on. Pleasure. God's sakes, as always. And uh, once again, for enhancing our listenership and raising the bar on on the conversation, um, it is a pleasure to to thank Tim Stillman for being on the pod. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto. You can find his writing on Ars Blog, uh, uh, various other blogs, and um, and podcast as well. He's he's a regular on. Uh, his Arsenal uh, Ars blog column comes out regularly on Thursdays. That's correct, right, Tim? Yep. 
See, Bloody see, I did that, Paul. That, that's a yeah. day of the week that it comes Bloody out, so you can off. actually call it regularly. Different um, blogs, a pod. Tim actually went to Sheffield and and still had the time to be here to talk to us. So we thank him. Thanks, Tim. No problem. And I, can I just say, I bear no responsibility for any money lost on bets on Joel Campbell hat trick on Saturday. Uh, no, it's it's on him. By the way, uh, Tim is offering a BetHub.com triple play win your money back sweepstakes on Joel Campbell hat trick. Mm. So make sure to get that that offer code from him online. In any event, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner if you haven't done so already. What the hell are you waiting for? Go to iTunes, give us a five star review, but then under the review, write really nasty shit. Tim, I don't know if you're aware, but um. One of the nice reviews we got about this pod said they really enjoy the pod, but they want to punch Elliot in the fleshy patch where his genitals used to be. So th- that's the kind of stuff that we expect. In any Sorry event, about that. I was, I was worse for wear. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> kind of figured. Touche. All right, guys. Uh, off to Swansea. Big week ahead. Three key matches before the next international break. Uh, hopefully all goes well and no more injuries. We'll talk to you after the Swansea match. Cheers. <laughs>